gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Training camp is over, full steam ahead to the regular season. Welcome into another edition of Can't Wait. And if you were following us on Twitter at all, myself, Tim McMaster, along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris, you probably think we hate each other at this point. It's been getting a little bit testy on Twitter, but don't worry, we're fine. Connor, are you guys going to be able to get through the episode, though? We hope. I hope so. I mean, I, I don't know if I, we, we started this episode, which is a positive. I just don't know if Marissa is going to suddenly like look down at her phone and be like, oh, it's birds with friends. I got to <laughs> take this. I'll be back. You guys are good, right? You guys are good. Like you, you can just 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 pretend I'm here. And then when you're done, just just send me the quick time. Just send me the, the message on Slack and we'll be good. We'll be good. It's birds with friends. It's Bo. Bo's calling me. Bo wants. But Bo's on the line. So uh, I mean, for, I love you guys. Those... I mean, I love you guys too. Yeah. But but it's Bo. <laughs> for those of you who haven't been following along on Twitter, a little bit of jealousy here between this show, can't wait, and one of Marissa's other shows that you know it's been around longer. I guess maybe that's a benefit. I'm I'm not sure, but uh, but we're hoping to battle through here this season. As long as the Jets get off to a good start, I think we'll be okay, and we'll all keep uh, getting along. But we have a lot to get to on the show. We're going to talk about winners and losers from training camp. We'll talk about the injuries, of course, and some storylines going into the season as well. But if you like what you're listening to, you can do this while you're listening. Get on there. Give us five stars and subscribe to the podcast. It helps us out a lot, so do that as well. Before we get to all that stuff I talked about, Connor, though, first up, we have to talk about Adam Gase's press conference today because it got a little bit weird, not necessarily talking about football, but talking about meetings. It's like practice, right? We're talking about practice? No, talking about meetings, virtual meetings versus in-person, in-person meetings, and the Jets being cheap, all sorts of stuff. Kind of break this down for me. All right, so... The best way to describe the Jets' meeting strategy this offseason, which is, I think, what has suddenly become the the center of, of some just ridiculous notion. I mean, I, I'll just put this one out there right now. There is no NFL head coach in the history of anything that hates meetings. Coaches are nuts when it comes to like having everything planned out, detail-oriented, all this stuff. They love meeting. They love talking. They love teaching. That's why they're coaches. If they didn't want to do these things, they wouldn't be head coaches. They wouldn't be football coaches. Meetings have been in, like, that's what they do. Like, Adam Gase is involved in, like, eight different meetings. And then he has secondary meetings aside from meeting with the offense and the whole team and seeing the defense. He will then meet with the defensive players as well in the season to give them a whole entire scouting report on the opposing quarterback to help them out. He loves it. He loves putting everything together and building it and doing it. Like the guy loves meetings. So the belief that that he doesn't love meetings is just like it 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 blows my mind that he doesn't love meetings. As far as virtual, in person, whatever, when the Jets went and did this entire off-season thing, one of the reasons that or one of the things that they wanted to go out there and do is they wanted to find a way to keep everyone kind of close together and have everyone kind of close to, to the facility and stuff. So where the way that the jets training facility is structured, there's actually a hotel literally not even a half a mile. I mean, it's like 500 feet or not 500 feet, probably like 500 yards away from the team's facility is the Archer hotel. The way that the jets thought about piecing this thing together for the off season is that they wanted to, essentially have all of the players at that hotel and create a dorm-like, fraternity-like atmosphere for team bonding and stuff like that. A lot of the reason why all of these players and other teams have had in-person meetings is because, and you can see this if you watch Hard Knocks, is that this offseason, the players are allowed to go home. So instead of like waiting that time for every player to get home to then log onto their computers to then do all the meetings... They say, okay, let's do it in our facility. Let's figure out how to make it work in the facility. The Jets, because of the Archer Hotel, which Christopher Johnson essentially bought out for the last two months, they have the ability to have their players get home to their dorm room, their hotel, in like three minutes and immediately turn on their computers and start their Zooms. And suddenly, as Henry Anderson spoke about, about how beneficial this has been, 
he's able to be in his hotel room in a team meeting while he's also getting treatment. So he's got those like giant like Iron yep. Man leg things on that are massaging. The Normatech. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, I've I've never had to use one of them before. Maybe I'll have one for my back. My, my next healed from from the last episode we had. So maybe I'll maybe I'll look into investing in one of those when suddenly I sleep wrong and my foot goes to sleep. I don't know. Um, but they are able to get home in two three minutes to this hotel and then get everything done and get their meetings and then come back the very next day. They still meet positionally after every single practice. They still meet before every single practice. They still talk on their their uh, walkthroughs. They're they're still meeting like this this whole like storyline that the Jets are a flawed football team and Adam Gase is an incompetent coach because they're still meeting virtually is one of the most asinine things I've ever heard in my entire life. I mean, when you say it out loud and you say it and you speak it, you have to suddenly like hear those words trickling out into the world <laughs> and be like, something's off with that. That's not, that's a, let's bring those back in. Cause like, you just have to think that. And I'll be honest. It's one of the most absurd things I've ever heard. It still ranks number two. And the, 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 the still, the absolute most absurd thing that I have ever heard in my entire life is that Christopher Johnson, this team's CEO, owner right now with Woody Johnson overseas, is somehow cheap. And that, Woody, is that, and that Christopher Johnson, this team's CEO right now, has in some way, shape, or form put financial restrictions on this team. I've had the chance, along with the vast majority of the credentialed beat writers on this on this Jets beat, I have had the opportunity to get to know Christopher Johnson pretty well over the last three, four years. You know, as long as, as since Woody Johnson left and Christopher Johnson took over, I remember meeting him for the first time at the owners' meetings in Arizona. I can tell you with utmost certainty that this is not a financial investment for Christopher Johnson. This is not a toy for Christopher Johnson, meaning the Jets franchise. This is not a rock that Christopher Johnson is kicking up the road until he finds something better to do that's going to take his attention and he's going to go do something else. When I tell you this guy loves this football team, I'm not busting balls. I'm not like blowing smoke up anyone's ass. This guy loves this football team. He was handed this team by his brother and basically told, you know, he was always kind of there and, and a part of it, but he was kind of fully given control of this when Woody Johnson went overseas and told, it's yours. Do what you want with it. It's yours. Do what you want with it. Make it great. And Christopher has taken that and basically been like, let's effing go. I want to make this team great. He so desperately wants this team to be good. He so desperately wants to make this team a winner. The last thing that this guy is going to do is cut corners. Like it's like if you if you have if you speak to this dude for like two minutes, talk to him for two minutes, and you realize how obsessed he is with this franchise, how he obsessed he is with making this team good, and how desperately he wants this team to win. He wasn't BSing when he said, you know, if the Jets ever win the Super Bowl, he's gonna carry around the trophy and wear it on his head like a crown. He wants this team to be good. I mean, he is just He's engulfed himself in making this team good. And has it been perfect for him? No, he's made mistakes. You want to criticize him for that? You can criticize him for it. He's a first-time owner, and he's made first-time owner mistakes. Not firing McCagnon sooner. That's a mistake. Depending on how this season goes and if the Jets decide to make a coaching change, he made a mistake there too. There are things that he has done where you can criticize him for that and say that was a mistake, that was it. But you know what? He is the first person that will stand up and say, that was my bad. I made that mistake, but I've learned from it. I'm not going to make that mistake again. The thought process, though, that Christopher Johnson, who so desperately wants this team to be good, would hire Joe Douglas to a six-year contract, making him essentially the highest paid GM in the world when he's never really done it before, and you're basically making it on guess. The fact that he would do that and then go knock on Joe Douglas's door and say, hey, Joe, glad you're here. Glad I got you for the next six seasons. You're not going anywhere, but guess up? Penny pinching time. It's bullshit. It's complete and total BS. The Jets this offseason, did they have a budget? Yes, they had a budget this offseason. Was the budget tighter this offseason than previous seasons? Yes, it was. Was it tighter because of an owner mandate? No, it was tighter because the Jets looked at this free agent class 
the 2019 free agent class. And what they saw was one that was lackluster at best. There was no Le'Veon Bell, in their opinion, in this franchise class. There was no C.J. Mosley in this class. What they saw were guys like Jack Conklin, who is a pretty good player. Was he worth $15 million a year? No, he's a pretty good player. He's not a premier offensive tackle. So what the Jets said is that we're looking at this free agent class. There's really no players. This isn't where we want to blow blow all of our money. We can be more financially responsible here. And then in 2020, when suddenly you have guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, guys like Yannick Njoku, guys like go down the list and Brandon Sheriff, potentially, go down the list and look at the potential of the, of the players that are going to be in free agency this coming year. We will have our money to be able to spend on A free agents, not C free agents, not C minus free agents, not maybe a B free agent. A free agents, which are going to litter the free agent class next year, we're going to have our money to spend it. The other thing that the Jets did, and one of the reasons why they were more financially, uh, I would say financially intelligent this offseason than the years where Mike McCagan was writing checks like he was crazy, is that this team realized that a pandemic was coming. And in fact, at that point in March, it was pretty much here. And what they knew and what Joe Douglas had the foresight to realize and the forward thinking to realize is that if he spends all of his money right now, there is a very real chance that if the salary cap drops, which was an expected potential 70 plus or 70 plus million per team, they were going to be screwed. What he realized, though, is that if he saves his money and realized going forward we could have a problem next year, he can have a better overall build of this team moving forward last next year. That they will have more money to spend when other teams do not. And you know how it panned out? The worst case scenario that can happen if fans aren't in the stands and all this stuff happens, there's going to be a team cap next year of $175 million. The Jets right now because of the way they conducted themselves this past offseason, are set to have about $40 million in salary cap space next year. That will be the third most in the NFL. They don't have that money if they go batshit crazy and sign people like Jack Conklin to absurd contracts. If they go out and they blow Emmanuel Sanders out of the water with $15 million a year, despite the fact he's 32 years old, they don't have the luxury that they're going to have in a free agent class that's going to see Juju Smith-Schuster, Yannick, other guys. All of these teams, by the way, who did go crazy that are now so much over the cap, they're going to have to be cutting stars. They're going to have to be cutting studs because they have to now get under. The New Orleans Saints, with that $175 million salary cap, they're $78 million over. $78 million over the cap. How do you get down from that? You got to cut studs, guys who are high-paid players. You can't be players in free agency. The Jets realized this. They realized this so they were tighter on their budget so that they know they are going to have a chance to feast on a better free agent class in 2020. That is not because the owner came in and said you couldn't spend. That is not because Christopher Johnson came in and said, nope, just gave a guy a six-year contract. Guess what? Screw you. You can't spend my money. That's bullshit. That's not what happened. Joe Douglas, and I know this for a fact, Joe Douglas had the right that if there was a player he wanted to break the bank on in this year's free agency, he could have done it. If he wanted to go and give Jack Conklin $20 million a year because he believed Jack Conklin was a stud, he had the where he had the okay and the green light to go do whatever he wants. Christopher Johnson has given control of this team to Joe Douglas and said, whatever you want to do, do it. The difference between this situation this past year and every other year is that Joe Douglas is operating with a mindset that is actually smart. He's operating with a mindset that is intelligent team building. He's not playing checkers. He's playing chess. He's seeing this two, three, four, five, six years down the road. That's how he's doing this. And a lot of these rumors that you're hearing come out about, oh, you know, the Jets are, the Jets are, you know, it's ownership mandate. The Jets can't spend money. Oh, the Jets are, the Jets have no money. They're in financial turmoil. They're not spending. You know who's saying that? The agents that are pissed the hell off because the Jets are no longer the, the, the cash cow negotiating pawn that they've been for the last two decades. They teams like players like Kirk Cousins can no longer go to the New York Jets and say, you know what? Uh, what are you going to give me? Okay. And then immediately go to the next team and say, I got this from the Jets. Get a little bit better offer. Go right back to the Jets. What are you going to give me now? Jets up their offer. Go back to the Vikings. Oh, now suddenly it's higher. 
That's not going to happen anymore. What Le'Veon Bell did to Mike McCagnan, when the only people that were negotiating with Le'Veon Bell were the New York Jets, it's not going to happen anymore. What Anthony Barr did to the Jets is not going to happen anymore. That's not being, that's not pinching pennies. That's not a tight wallet. That's not financial limitations. That's being smart. That's building this thing the right way. That's why in two, three, four years, you're going to see a Jets team constructed by Joe Douglas that is going to be a contender because he's doing it the right way. And this BS that's out there, that Christopher Johnson is somehow out there saying, no, you can't spend this. No, you can't spend that. Adam Gase had the idea of buying basically a hotel for three months. And Christopher was like, sure, if that's what you want, we're good. If this dude was so like hard knit on you can't spend money, is he going to okay a glorious hotel for two full months for his team and just write that check? <laughs> he bought a hotel for two months, dude. He bought a hotel. Like that's not pinching pennies. That's saying whatever this team needs to do to have success, they're going to have success. Again, was the Jets budget tighter this year than previously? Yes, it was, but it was tighter because they knew the pandemic was coming and they wanted to be prepared for 2020 and they wanted to be have their money in 2020 where the free agent class is going to be better than it was this year. And anyone who is saying different has no idea what they're talking about. That's the fact. That'll do Am it for I this right? edition of the Can't Wait Podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that needed to get out there, man. I'm sorry, but that shit had to get out there. Like, that's just, I've like heard it and heard I'm finally like, God, this is just, this is, like, that was, that was the icing on the cake when I'm hearing about Adam Gase hates Tim meet team meetings and all of a sudden Christopher Johnson's pinching pennies again. It is just, it blows my mind. Blows my mind. That was good. That's an all-time Connor rant. That was Take good. a breath, I think Connor. I had the clock going. I think yeah. you may have passed 10 minutes. Maybe there we go. Something like that. There we Good go. stuff. I got my water now. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Take balls. a break. Um, we're going to move on to uh, winners and losers from camp. Uh, we'll do offense and defense. I'll just kind of open it up for you. But but starting on the winner's side, let's start positive. Um, to me, I mean, Becton seemed to be what we expected from Becton. Chris Herndon doesn't have a season-ending injury so far. I mean, those seem like pretty good wins for the Jets. Do you have anything else as far as the offense goes? And does that make sense? Uh, no, I mean, I think that that's it, man. Yeah. I mean, if you're just talking about wins for, for the offense, I mean, it's been it's been tough to, to analyze the offense. And we've gone over it. Like, we, we talked about it. Like, I, w- I would love to sit here and tell people that Sam Darnold's ready for a breakout dominant year. And I'd love to sit here and say, <clears throat> excuse me, COVID. Uh, I'd love to sit here and say that, like, Sam Darnold's going to be the Pat Mahomes and the Sean Watson. He's ready for his Carson Wentz season. And, and just to take the top off and be an MVP and take the Jets to the playoffs. I'd love to say that. I would. I would love to say it. The issue is that I can't right now, and I can't do that right now because I don't think Sam Darnold's shown enough. And that's probably been the biggest offensive like blunder is that, you know, because of this receiving core, and I think the receiving core would have been okay, maybe slightly below average if everyone was healthy. Well, they haven't been healthy, so he's been throwing to Jahu Chesson, our favorite guy, and 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 Josh Malone, and and uh, George Campbell, and, and these guys that honestly would not make any other fifty-three man roster. They're out there starting for the Jets right now. And Sam Darnold, you can see, is maybe not having the camp because he doesn't necessarily trust his weapons. And I think you know the perfect example of it was actually today. He threw a gorgeous pass back corner of the end zone uh, over a linebacker to the right of a corner and before a safety. It should have been a gimme touchdown, gorgeous pass, and Malone drops it. That's a touchdown just off the board. And like it, when that happens over and over again, it's it's the talent around Darnold that is hurting him. And I think that's one of the reasons why you just can't say it. And 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 I again, it's he hasn't had a bad camp by any stretch of the imagination. He's had a pretty he's had an okay camp, slightly above average camp. Uh he just hasn't done enough to make me say like that's your dude. Like Sam Darnold is going to be an MVP this year. And I don't think it's all his fault. Again, I think a lot of it has to do with no OTAs, no mini camp and then the rash of injuries to receiver. But the the positives around there are the ones that you mentioned. I think that Chris Herndon is a positive. I think Frank Gore is a positive. I think Michael Perrine was, or P. Ryan, I'm sorry, I always say that wrong. Michael P. Ryan was really coming into his own. You saw what he could start to do in that first scrimmage that the Jets held on that Wednesday, where he just, he was lighting up the first team defense, then got reps with the starting offense, broke off a 39 yard run. I mean, the guy was having a, a really showing some breakaway speed, being a really dynamic, like really looking good. Uh, then unfortunately gets that ankle injury sideline. But the one positive there is that it's not a season ending injury. So he's going to be back. So, uh, I think that, um, I, I think that that's a pot. Chris Herndon, like you said, positive Jamison Crowder, positive, uh, offensive line, big, big positive. And then obviously Chris Herndon is, is another one with P run. What are you going to do on Saturday at four o'clock when Jehu Chesson is no longer part of your life? <laughs> Cry. <laughs> Cry. <laughs> 
I got the I got some room in the, in the back office there. I'm gonna make a uh, shrine to him. <laughs> I'll tell you what though, you know what? Chesson's story. He caught a uh, he caught a long pass. Was it? Dude, I had all the days blur together. It was either Wednesday or today at practice. He caught a long Wednesday. pass down the sideline, and tweeting it out. I was like, I was waiting actually for Marissa to say <laughs> something. I thought I thought she might like clap back at me like who. Jahoo? Who? Who did that? Was that Jahoo? No, who? just the way you said it last episode, you were like, you know who Jahoo Chesson is? Well, he's the next backup. She she would have commented, but she was busy producing a different podcast. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was good. It flew over my head at first. I was like, what oh no! Yep, there it is. All right, let's move on to. Uh, so that's the the winners on offense. On defense, I think it's easier to kind of pick a couple guys. Marcus. Marcus Bay is one, right? I mean, that's kind of clear cut. And then Ashton Davis, I think, as far as the the young guys, has really stood out as well. Yeah, you know, Ashton Davis was, you know, when they drafted him, he was kind of the guy that I'd never heard of. You know, and again, I, I, I say this all the time. I mean, there's countless stories where I've written this sentence. And there's there's probably audio clips here that where uh, audio clips here where you guys can pull them up and, and see the same thing. And it's that. I'm not a draft expert. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a scout. I'm not going to try to pretend like I am. I don't, these guys are paid so much more money than I am to evaluate college talent and they can't even do it. Why the hell could I? Like, I trust other people. I trust people. Like I'll talk to scouts. I'll talk to GMs. That's where I'll formulate my opinions. I'm not going to try to break this down. I'm not going to try to break down offensive line play. I mean, I did win offensive lineman of the year for the JV team (laughs) back in like 2007, but you should go, you should practice with Mekhi Becton a little. I should. I, I could probably. I, I'll be honest. I could probably teach him a thing or two. Like I just, he's, he's <laughs> get lower. You know, I would I, pay I serious money to see that. Well, right, look here, Mackay. Actually, I have like three or four. This, oh, this, oh, it's another story for another day. But um, <laughs> I don't try to evaluate talent. So, like when when Davis was picked and Davis was drafted, I wasn't uh, like scouring the the. I I wasn't like, oh, here's my scouting report on the 17 things that I've I've learned from you know the hours of film study I've I've watched. No, I just started going back and reading about him. But the more that I read about this kid, the more I was kind of like, I just think there's a chance he's a player. Like there was just little things that you read about him. You hear his backstory. You hear the walk on. You see his athleticism. You see how much he wants it. And, and you're kind of just like. I think they might have gotten something. You get kind of random feelings about random players where you're like, I think that guy is going to be a player. He gets here to camp. We start to see him, and he is so ridiculously fast. Like, he has the ability to go from that deep safety spot. Like, you thought May was fast. You thought May could cover ground. This kid's absurd. Like, I watched him go from the deep safety spot on the right side of the field all the way to the left side to break up a long pass in, like, the second or third day of open training camp. I mean, the guy has sideline to sideline unbelievable speed. He packs a punch, and then you just hear him talk, and you listen to him, and you can see why Gase calls him the Energizer Bunny. Other people call him a sponge where he's just soaking everything up. You can kind of see where it is. You can kind of get why he's going to be. And this camp, he's just started to do everything right. And the first couple the first couple weeks of camp, he just worked with the second team. The last couple weeks is the Jets have really started to prepare this thing for the regular season. He started working in there with the first team. And you're going to see a lot of three safety packages with McDougal, May, and Ashton Davis. They're all going to be out there. You're you're going to see uh you're going to see a lot of a lot of stuff there. You're going to see a lot of stuff there where, where you're going to like him. And I think he's in for a big year. And then the one guy though that has had the best camp of everyone and, and undeniably the biggest um undeniably I think the biggest winner from camp has been Marcus May. And and when when the Jets traded away Jamal, I, I think that what I assumed was what a lot of people assumed was that they were going to go strong safety, free safety, and just run kind of a traditional back end. I didn't expect them to take Jamal Adams' role, hand it to Marcus May, and say, can you do it? And and what May's done is, is he is, you can tell he's, he's amped up by the fact that he's been given this opportunity, and now he's really starting to thrive, and he's really starting to shine in this role, and... Uh, I, I think you're going to see as long as he stays healthy and he's dealing with a little calf issue now, which is kind of a little bit of a red flag, missed the last two, three days of practice. Uh, as long as he stays healthy, biggest takeaway from camp is that Marcus May is going to have a hell of a season. And Marcus May is really going to come out of here and and play like a gangbuster because he's shown an ability to play near the line of scrimmage. He's shown an ability to play back deep. He's shown an ability to blitz. He's shown an ability to play man coverage. And the first three years of his career, he was just a deep back safety. So uh, I think he's going to be in store for for a really good year. And I think that Jets secondary could be a little underrated. I think that secondary, now that everyone's healthy, Pierre Desir, Brian Poole, um, Bless Austin, McDougal, Davis, May, I think that I think that group, while it's minus Adams, I think collectively that unit can uh, can be better than what um 
uh, what they were last year in the last couple of years. We're going to get to the camp losers, but we got one more winner, Connor. You know who that is? Uh, Marissa? <laughs> cool. Uh, no, not Marissa. Manscaped. Manscaped. Fantasy football draft season ah, yes. is upon us due to quarantine. It's very possible that you might have Zeke's haircut in your pants. That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure you don't gamble on shaving the same way you like to gamble on football. When it comes to men's hygiene, Manscaped is as good and safe as Christian McCaffrey in a PPR league. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. This is the perfect protection needed for the franchise quarterback. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and has an LED light on it. Game changer. They just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. Their Perfect Package 3.0 comes with the new and improved Lawnmower Performance Boxer Briefs and a travel bag for you to use when you're done quarantining and some other liquid formulations like Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver. For a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, that's a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Get 20% off and free shipping if you use the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20, that's 2-0, at manscaped.com. Once again, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. All you have to do is use the Athletic 20 at checkout. It's time to boost your hygiene with the absolute besties with Manscaped. All right, on to the losers we go. And on offense, um, we're going to talk about Le'Veon Bell because this was a guy that was coming into this camp. He was supposed to be in this great shape, and this was supposed to be the year that he reasserted himself as one of the league's best. But you mentioned how good Frank Gore's been. He's overshadowed Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that... Le'Veon is in great shape. I mean, you look at the dude, he's freaking shredded. Like, I mean, I would love to look like that. I mean, if I did, I'd, I'd never wear a shirt. Like, the dude's freaking jacked. Like, he is unbelievably jacked. I'm not joking there. But the thing is, is that you haven't really seen it translate to the field yet. And and we've talked about it. It's just, he's he's trying this, like, dancing running style still. You know, the one that made him famous in Pittsburgh. And I think what... He needs to realize, and I thought he would have realized it last year, but apparently he hasn't yet, um, is that that doesn't really work in New York, you know, because when, when and we said this before, it's like when the Pittsburgh Steelers had Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback, Le'Veon Bell was the running back, it was the killer bees, and then Antonio Brown split wide. Antonio Brown split wide, you can't put any kind of like eight-man front because that's, that's single coverage outside. He's going to torch you. So you had to keep the safety back deep. So Bell was running against uh, smaller and lesser fronts. And that allows him to get to the line, aside from the fact the Steelers had a great offensive line, that would allow him to get to that offensive line, kind of start to like dance and move a little bit, wait for the right hole and take it and hit it. With the Jets, when he dances and stuff like that, which he does a lot in camp, it just allows the defense to close in on him and bring him down. And I think he needs to learn to just hit the hole. Just get the four, five, six yards because that's what Frank Gore does. That's what he he's he's kind of why I say he's had a more productive camp is that there's no BS with him. He gets the ball. He finds a hole. He gets there and he gets what he can. Is it always 30, 40, 50 yards? No, I don't think he's broken a run longer than 20 yards this camp, but it's always positive. I don't think I honestly cannot recall. Maybe there was one play with Quinn and Williams. I don't recall Frank were ever getting stuffed for a loss. It's always one yard. It's always three yards. It's always four yards. And then his better runs are five, six, seven yards. And and that's what this Jets offense needs. Keep the sticks moving. Shorten the di- shorten, shorten your distances. Make it second and seven. Because then maybe the next play you get something, suddenly it's third and two. Third and two is a lot better than, than the way the Bell's dancing, which is setting up like third and 14. Like, you just got to get it. And, you know, the other thing, too, is like his vision hasn't been all that great. I mean, I've seen holes because the the way that this camp's been, the one positive is we've had some chances to stand behind the offensive line or stand behind the offense and watch. Like, I'm no back. I mean, I'm a running back. But, like, I've seen, like, oh, that looks like a hole, and he goes the other way. And, it, and it's like that doesn't – that's what like what he's supposed to – that's supposed to be a specialty. His specialty is supposed to be this great vision, and you haven't really seen it. Now, the one uh, late – camp booster that you can say to to bell stock and why i do say that while he's had an underwhelming training camp it is sort of on the rise is that these last two weeks with all of the issues that the jets have at receiver adam gase is finally now using Le'Veon bell as a receiver 
You saw it in the the highlight that the Jets tweeted out there uh, from their green and white scrimmage, pseudo scrimmage at MetLife Stadium. Le'Veon Bell went split wide, went deep, caught a touchdown. Like it was a fade route where he beat a safety on a back corner fade. He did the same thing today, split wide, turned around, caught a curl, and fought his way into the end zone from two yards out. He's doing things like that now when he's starting to make plays. And I think that's the big thing that, that Gase stressed a couple days ago and that he said, I need to do a better job getting Le'Veon Bell in space. I need to do a better job getting him the ball in space. And I think you're starting to see the Jets do that. It's just not with him as a, as a running back. It's more with using him as a receiver. All right. So that makes a lot of sense. So Bell, maybe the, the answer is that. Maybe the the short, the uh, the lack of weapons for Sam Darnold helps to give Le'Veon Bell another way to support this team and help out this team. We'll certainly see on defense. Unfortunately, kind of the key loser here that we're going to talk about is a guy that we had circled going in as a guy that needed to have a big camp and turn around kind of what people thought of him coming off his rookie season, and that's Quinn and Williams. Yeah, uh, like similar to Bell, it's just he talks a hell of a game. Yeah. I mean, Quinnen talked again today, and he talked a hell of a game. First time he talked to us, I was like, holy shit, the guy's going to be like the second coming of, of, uh, of I don't even know, Aaron Donald. I mean, I, you can go back even further. Uh, like he was, I thought I was like, no one's going to block this dude. Like, I, he's insane. He's like ready to, he's going to have 100 sacks this year. And then as like the practices started rolling on, you just kind of never really noticed him. And and I the thing that I go back to, and it's, it's a tough comparison because he is a different breed is Aaron Donald. And and the Rams and Chargers this year are fo- are are the focal point of hard knocks. And occasionally I'll turn it on and I'll watch an episode or two just cuz I, I think it's a cool documentary. I used to watch it all the time with my dad, so I still I still watch it like as, you know, kind of like the memories of like that whole thing and it's well done and all that stuff. Um but there was a a episode, I don't know if it was the second one they aired or the third one, I don't remember, but the Rams held a scrimmage at their new stadium. That practice, they showed the highlights. Aaron Donald had like five or six sacks against the Rams first team offensive line. Like the things he was doing and the speed in which he was getting into the backfield every play was just, I, I, I've covered, I've covered pr- training camps now since 2014. I have never seen that before ever. Not once. Never have I seen that before. And I compare it inadvertently compare it to what I see at the Jets now. And Quinn and Williams had one sack all of camp. It was on Sam Darnold in a padless practice, and he got there and he tapped him on the shoulder. That's it. And like you can say, uh, and he had two two uh, r- tackles for a loss where he broke into the backfield and wrapped up. Once was Le'Veon Bell, once was Frank Gore at the line, uh, which were like the speed in which he got to the backfield is really impressive. Aside from those three plays, though, I never noticed Quinn and Williams unless I decided on one particular play. I'm going to watch Quinn and Williams today. So maybe he was getting pressure and I just didn't see him, and and maybe he was doing good things that just were going unnoticed. But I didn't pick him up at any point in time. And it was because he wasn't making those highlight plays, those highlight plays like Aaron Donald does every single day. And, and originally my, my take was, Oh, well that must mean that, that Mekhi Becton's having a good camp and Alex Lewis is having a good camp. But when the jets had their scrimmages, Quinnen was going up against the second team defense or the second team offensive line. I'm sorry. And still, you don't notice him unless you're looking for him. And and you're not going to write the guy off yet. You're not going to say anything about it. I mean, it's his second year. He's young. He's still coming into his own. And and me saying this now, someone's probably going to cut this clip and he's going to have like 35 sacks this year. It's going to be insane. But in, in training camp, I just, I, after the way Quinnen talked, I expected a little bit more than what I saw from him. Because I've seen defensive linemen have really good camps. He didn't have the camp this summer like Nathan Shepard had his rookie year. He didn't have the summer like, uh, he didn't have this summer wasn't as good as Jordan Jenkins, his rookie year. D- Dylan Donahue, his rookie year, he tore it up. So did Lorenzo Mald. Like, you have these guys that, like, make plays. You're like, oh, they might have a player there. I didn't really see that that from Quinn. And it was, it was, again, like Darnold, it wasn't bad. It was just more quiet than I thought. All right. So that's that's your winners. That's your losers from training camp. But really, the overall theme, it seemed like, from training camp wasn't about winners or losers. It was about injuries. They just dominated the storyline for this Jets team. Um, But maybe just maybe there's a glimmer of hope here. And I think in your story uh, on The Athletic Connor, you mentioned making sure that there was a wood nearby if you're going to bring this up. So you're ready to knock on it a little bit. Uh, Nice lead there. Uh, (laughs) But but Mims is back sort of. Dazeer is back, and some other guys are getting closer. The problem I have with this, I guess, and let's talk about Mims first, it almost feels like it's too late 
for a rookie receiver. I mean, he's coming back on the final day of training camp to kind of get on the field for the first time. At what point during the season can he really be a factor in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think you just need to temper your expectations because it's not only just coming back now, it's the fact he didn't have OTAs, he didn't have mini camp, he didn't have the offseason. So it's, I mean, the guy's missed like, if you had a rookie wide receiver that sat out OTAs and mini camp and then played training camp, uh, you would say like he's still behind the eight ball. Basically, he missed everything, and now he's coming back two weeks before the season started. Individual, he still hasn't done team drills. He's just doing individual stuff. And I think um, what you're going to see uh, from Mims this year is he's not going to be the starter. The Jets starters, assuming everyone's healthy, are going to be Brashad Perryman, Chris Hogan, and then Jamison Crowder. What you're going to see probably the first, I would say three four weeks month of the season as Mims gets himself back to 100. percent I think you're going to see packages designed for him. So you'll see him come on. He'll have a set number of plays he runs in a set package, and he knows what he's supposed to. It's going to be that. And then the next week, the Jets might make one package into two packages, and then three packages, and then four packages. It's just going to be a slow. Like, he's going to be on the field. Like he said, he dropped the Sheldon Richardson most definitely quote when when we asked him if he was going to be ready for week one. He's going to be on the field. He's going to play on the field. It's just a matter of how much he's going to be able to do. And it's not going to be much early on. I think you'll see that increase, increase, increase as it goes on. And the person that I'd honestly compare it to, and I remember it it vividly because he was one of my favorite players coming out of college, was when the Giants drafted Hakeem Nix. I loved him at UNC when the Giants took him. I still followed his career. He was a guy that suffered an injury kind of early on. And you saw him early in that season. He wasn't starting for the Giants, but he was starting to work in. And then as the season went on, he did a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And I think he ended up finishing that season with like 700-ish receiving yards, like right around there. I think that's what you will eventually see from Mims, is that it's going to be very slow early on, and then he'll slowly work himself in. And and it's a bummer, man, because the Jets did have high expectations for this kid. Their pre-camp depth chart was Mims outside, Perryman outside, Crowder in the slot, Herndon, Bell Gore. Like, that's what they wanted to do, Griffin working in. That's what they wanted to do, and obviously a big wrench has been thrown into that one because with Perryman out, who knows when he's coming back. Uh, obviously, Mims is still slowly working his way back, and then all the other injuries to the receivers. Uh, the Jets, Jets are going to have to do some gymnastics at that position. And they're going to have to do some of that on defense as well, although it'll be easier for these guys to acclimate themselves, like Desir, right? He's he's back, yeah. a, a full practice today, I guess, back at it, and that is, is huge for this team because there's not a lot of depth back there. Yeah, he's a, he, anything too like to remember about Desiris, he's a veteran. Like yep. this wouldn't be an issue with Mims if he was if he'd been in the league for three years. Like who would care? Like I just get him healthy and it's fine. Like it doesn't matter. Just get healthy and you'll be fine. The problem is that he had this like he's learning the NFL. It's all brand new. I mean, it's, literally to this point, he has never run a route against an NFL defensive back. The first time he runs a route against an NFL defensive back will be if he takes the field against the Bills in Week One. Like that's what's got to sink in. So. The speed of the NFL game, that's he hasn't seen it yet. Like you'll eventually probably see it in practice, assuming the Jets give him some team drills when they're back on the field on Monday after they do all the cuts and stuff like that. Um, but that's that's gonna be the first time he he takes a rep against an NFL defensive back. Not the guys he was seeing in college, an NFL player. And 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 that's it's an adjustment period. It takes time. He's gotta learn how to do it. And I don't uh, it, it, that's why I, I like we've said, you gotta you gotta temper those expectations for early on. The, the massive injuries that have kind of affected this Jets team may be helped out a little bit because because it's 2020, and we keep going back to that. The rules are a little bit different as far as the, the IR and things like that. In fact, unlimited returns from the IR is one of them. Do you think the new rules or maybe the Jets, because of the bad luck they've had, um, they get helped out a little more than some other teams because of these rules and the way you can keep a few extra guys on the practice squad and all the different IR things? Yes and no. So the reason why I say yes and no is because that IR is going to be very beneficial in season, but you can't put a player on the injured reserve now before the cut day and have him be eligible for that short-term return. So any player that you want to use as that, we're going to stash him on the IR, bring him back in three weeks, which is the new rule for this year. And as many as you want, constantly bring him back after three weeks, they don't count for the roster spot. Any player that you want to do that with has to make your initial 53. So the Jets could conceivably be carrying Vincent Smith, Jeff Smith, Joe Flacco, LaMichael P. Ryan, um, a handful of other guys 
that they realize, I mean, that's four or five roster spots just there that I just rattled off. That's five roster spots right there that you have to keep on your initial 53, knowing that the next day you're going to put all these five players on the injured reserve. But in order to keep these five players on your 53, you have to cut five other players that you might like. So it's going to take some impressive gymnastics between Adam Gase, Joe Douglas, and the Jets pro personnel department in determining, okay, what players can we cut knowing they can clear waivers and then when we put Joe Flacco on the injured reserve, we can bring this guy back compared to which players, if we open them up to the waiver wire, we're going to lose them. The perfect example is is James Morgan, right? Like the Jets should keep uh, either White or Fails as the backup for Sam Darnold until Flacco gets ready. So you keep Darnold, White or Fails, Flacco, you cut James Morgan. James Morgan's a fourth round pick. He's not clearing waiver wire. Someone's going to claim him. Someone will pick him up and keep yeah. him as their third quarterback. So now do you cut fails or fails and white, keep Morgan and Flacco and then Flacco and then try to bring then basically keep Morgan, put him back as your third quarterback, bring white or fails and have them be like, you're going to have to do all that stuff at running back with P Ryan. Do you cut Josh Adams? Cause you can't go into the regular season with just Le'Veon Bell and Frank Gore. You need a third running back. So do you cut Josh Adams and then hope he clears waivers? The Eagles are there. The Eagles squad, they liked him once before. There's enough people from that Philadelphia Eagle department, that pro personnel department that took him that are scattered around that would certainly claim Josh Adams. Do you Is he susceptible to that? Think about the Jets receivers. Now, the the you know, they keeping Vincent Smith, Jeff Smith, are you going to keep 12 like receivers on the first 53 before you start like IRing these guys? Like, what are you going to do? Because you keep that many white, like, I did my 53-man roster projection for the 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 like the athletic that ran today. I had to go through and like figure. I was like, all right, are we going initial 53 or are we going week one? I ended up going. This is what their week one 53 is going to look like because it's going to be funky, man. Now the one thing that that does benefit the Jets as long as 31 other teams is a lot of times when you have these players that are picked up off the waiver wire and these players that are that are claimed, it's because they have. Uh, other teams have film on them from training camp things or not training camp. I'm sorry, but preseason games, things like that, where they can say, Oh, this, I really liked what I saw from this, from Braxton Berrios in the jets preseason games. We're going to claim them. There's no preseason this year. No team is handing over there. They're all 22 from practice. So basically you're going to go and say, okay, can we, should we claim this guy based off of the evaluation you had based on Connor's Twitter years? feed? Are we going to, yeah, claim based on the reporters, yeah. according to <laughs> exactly. No, seriously. That's, <laughs> that's that's kind of what it's going to be. So so that does help the yeah, Jets and in, in, in sneaking some of these these players through. Yeah, I think fails will make it through waivers. Pretty sure of that one. But um, so speaking of injuries, there's a, we got a question in um, in surprise, the chat. Surprised you made it through camp. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Brian in the chat says, "Why don't the Jets address their poor injury management? There are preventative measures like yoga, certain diets, are meant to prevent injuries. Are the Jets behind the times? You could actually." No say the same thing, you know, here in New York, you hear the same thing or you did a year ago about the New York Yankees and they wiped out their entire training staff, brought in an entire new group and are having just as many injuries this year. So I, th- I think there's two ways to look at it. I mean, maybe there's something to this and you can speak to it, Connor, but sometimes it's just bad luck. That's it, man. Sometimes it just happens. And, and other teams deal with it too. Like other teams deal with injuries. I'm not, it's not an excuse, but like the Jets have a state-of-the-art medical facility. Every single player has a GPS in their shoulder pads that they run around and they can tell if they've been working too hard and then they get like a day off. Like the Jets are up at the top of the league with like, they're not like going through like, you know, witchcraft to try to heal these guys. Like, oh, here, I'm going to put this smoke over you and, and suddenly your hamstrings are impenetrable. Hmm. Like, it's not like they're, they are, they're doing all this like they're supposed to. It's just not working. I mean, they fired their head athletic trainer. They brought in someone new. Still getting injured. I mean, it's just like some teams, you just have some bad luck. But, like, what you have to realize is that the best teams in the league, like, at the end of the year, like, when you have the best teams that are making Super Bowl runs, it's either, one, the team that stayed the healthiest, that just happened to be the healthiest that year, or, two, it's the team that was able to overcome those injuries with their depth. And a lot of times, it's the second, not the first. It's very rare that you have a season where guys just don't get just don't get hurt. You know, the one that... The one they go back to, think, think about the Philadelphia Eagles. When the Philadelphia Eagles won won their Super Bowl, right? They won a Super Bowl when they lost their MVP quarterback and their all-pro Pro Bowl left tackle. And they still managed to win a Super Bowl. And they did that because they had Joe Douglas over in that department who had spent, or the uh, before Joe Douglas had gotten there, had spent time 
building depth within that team. You need solid drafts, great drafts that then build this depth. So when one guy goes down, the second guy might not be as good, but he can still replace him. The issues that Mike McCagnan had in drafting, Idzik had a drafting, Tannenbaum had a drafting. They put the Jets in this hole where Joe Douglas is trying to like basically erase 10 years of ineptitude in one off season. It's not going to happen. So when you have these injuries, look, I mean, the Jets' three starting receivers right now are Brashad Perryman, Jamison Crowder, Denzel Mims, right? In a perfect world, those are your three starting receivers. Braxton Berrios as well. You can probably throw in there as a backup slot. In two years from now, maybe those guys are still there. Mims will be. Crowder will be. But Joe Douglas will have two additional offseasons to continue to build the talent there and sign other guys so that when Mims goes down, you're not having Jehu Chesson fill in. You're having a guy that the Jets actually have something invested in that they believe is a player. So it's just it's just going to take time. I think what you're seeing right now with these injuries, are the injuries an issue right now? Yeah. Probably an issue because the vast majority of the offseason, these guys didn't have conditioning, which is playing a role for it. But I think the Jets' injuries last year and this year are amplified by how poorly they have drafted that when one of these guys, like their starters are already pedestrian, that when their starter goes down, I mean, it's a huge drop-off between a guy that's a borderline NFL talent, and that's what's being exposed. It's not necessarily the number of injuries. It's the depth problem that the Jets have. All right, well, we're going to get to some storylines to follow this year, but first... DraftKings. Everyone's favorite time of the year is right around the corner. That's right. Football is about to be back. To celebrate football's 101st year, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook, is putting new users in the center of the action with a free $101 bet when they place a bet on the Kansas City versus Houston Thursday night game, which is one week from today. This touchdown of a deal is only available for 101 hours, so get in on all the action now. You heard us right. DraftKings is giving all new users a free bet of $101 once they sign up and place a bet of $10 or more on the Kansas City versus Houston game. If you're new to DraftKings Sportsbook, head over to the app now to check out all of the great promotions and odd boosts that they're offering. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, located right here in the United States, so it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code QUICK to get a free $101 bet to use once you place a bet on the first football game of the season. That's promo code QUICK to get your free $101 bet for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only, other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. What home. a comeback. <laughs> yeah, that was, what a comeback. that was good stuff. Thank you. Now take, that I knew it was 101 and it didn't throw me off. <laughs> but yeah, right, you so, see that, so, Connor. So we have storylines for the season. We've covered some of the ones we had listed here, so we'll just go through some of the other ones, uh, Connor. Uh, starting with the offensive line, which we touched on early in the podcast, but I think it's worth getting more into because there was plenty of question marks about this offensive line just because of the time frame without the OTAs and all of that stuff and the fact that there was so many new faces. Beckton, the rookie, you had the free agents who had signed and come in. It was a lot to put together. Um, Right away at the beginning of training camp, we talked about the chemistry that was developing. But now 10 days from the opener, do you have the feeling that this is an offensive line that's going to be at least average, if not a little bit over? Yeah, I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to yeah. be a pretty decent unit. I mean, they're not they're not the best. They're not they're one of the top five units in the NFL. I, I don't I don't think that uh, in the slightest. But but I think they're going to be good. I mean, I think what Joe Douglas did a very good job of, and and I wrote this today, is that you know he realized he needed to overhaul the offensive line. He realized that that he was probably going to have four to five new starters on this offensive line and that it was going to 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 kind of be a, a challenge to piece all that together it wasn't about him though getting five of the best players per se he that's not possible in doing in one off season what he wanted to do was find a way to get the five right guys together to then play as one. And I think that that is what he succeeded in doing. I think that he managed to find five guys who had never played together that just fit cohesively together. And you're seeing chemistry from this group. You're seeing them come together. You're seeing so many positive, positive things from this group that it's playing major roles now because they've managed to find chemistry despite no OTAs, mini camp and just a minimal training camp. 
they've managed to find chemistry despite the fact none of these guys have played together before. None of these guys really knew each other before, and they're now playing as one. So I think they're a little bit better pass blocking than they are run blocking, which is good. But I think that this is probably the first time that you can say the Jets have undeniable competence up front. Uh, They have certainly chemistry up front, and they've got a group that if everyone is healthy, they're going to be fine at the offensive line. They can still get better. I still think Joe Douglas is going to look to add another tackle, probably another guard, maybe even a center in the coming uh, weeks or uh, years and stuff like that. Uh, Cameron Clark, I think, is somebody the Jets are going to want to develop to maybe take over as one of those guard spots because I don't think Van Roten and Alex Lewis are long-term answers for this team. Um, But I think that they are a, a better unit than what they've been they're undeniable I shouldn't say it. they're undeniably a better unit than what they've been and now it's a, a matter of it all coming together and, and the big thing though is just staying healthy like Van Roten missed a little bit of time that that was was I think an injury scare they avoided Alex Lewis has missed the last two practices with a shoulder issue no ligament damage so they're fine there but I think that that's kind of like that's the biggest thing as well and I think I actually like they're good, but I think one of the reasons why they've been able to find this chemistry, honestly, is the fact that they've been able to stay largely healthy throughout this entire training camp. <laughs> At least somebody has. <laughs> yeah, right? No, seriously. Like, that offensive line has, though, because last year yeah. is when, you know, Beecham's out with the ankle, and, and then suddenly Ryan Cleo gets there, but he's not practicing because he's got to get in shape. And then Osemele was dealing with something, so he was out. And then, uh, who was it, Rikar? Brian Winters was missing. T- like, everyone was out. Everyone's hurt. And then it's like they never – that the, the offensive line – that the Jets started week one didn't practice together until week one. And that's right. Brian Winters was hurt. He got hurt in that preseason game. So that offensive line started week one practiced together for the first time there. This is brand new five new starters on the Jets offensive line, but all of those guys practiced. I mean, uh, Makai Becton didn't miss a snap. George Font didn't miss a snap. Connor McGovern didn't miss a snap. Greg Van Roten missed, I think, two total practices. Alex Lewis missed two total practices. These guys had a chance to really get to know each other. And I think the fact that their personalities mesh really uh, really played a, a, a big role for the Jets and, and helped them in all of this. Becton has said that he wants to lose a little more weight um, throughout the season or before Don't the we season. All, One way, though, Don't right? Just take the necklace off and it'll lose 10, 15 all. pounds. Is that fair? It's $175,000 necklace. Yeah, that's that's it's a, not three hundred thousand. It's not three hundred thousand like the rumors were, but just yeah. one seventy five. A cool one seventy five. Yeah, cool one seventy five. Man, I saw that <laughs> thing on Instagram and I was like, God damn! You know, we asked him like when we first talked to Becton like during camp, we're like, Oh, did you buy anything yet? Mm-hmm. And he said, No, I'm working on something. There you go. And I figured like mm-hmm. a house, a car, a house for yeah. mom. Saw that on Instagram. I was like, I know what the hell you were working on. Like, God damn, man, that thing's got to weigh a ton. Like that, yeah. I don't know what like. That was like, I don't know, Marissa would probably have a a completely different opinion on this than not to like female stereotype here. But did you see Pat Mahomes' fiance's ring? It was beautiful. Now, this was my stand. Like, that's got to weigh your hand down. Yeah. Like, that's like, if that thing's on your finger, like. She's like a fitness girl, so she's fine. She can hold that thing up for sure. I saw that. I saw that picture and I showed it to Brie and she was like, that is stunning. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I was like, but like yours is like nice, like you, it's like it's a really nice freaking ring. Like it's a nice carrot, like it's a lot of all that. It's like up there. I was like, but that like her carrot's probably like that'd be like a seven carat. You'd know this. I'm just throwing crap. I don't that. know. <laughs> I just looked at that and I was like, I feel like that would weigh your hand down. Like that, that you're gonna hold. I'd be like, this is too heavy. I don't want this on my finger anymore. And then you're never gonna wear it. It's like the Super Bowl ring. You know, you, yeah. you just never wear it. You you occasionally bring it out for special occasions. Like you can't no. do that with. You almost need like a backup engagement ring just for normal things. And then you can just go to that one <laughs> yeah. for, for special. It would be hard like yeah. cooking and like that kind of stuff for sure. Well, but Brie complains I, about that. She complains about banging it. Like yeah. she like she keeps saying like whenever she's around, like because it's uh, one of the, I, I'm not getting the specifics of the ring, but like there's something in it that like, raises it up a little bit. And she always c- talks about banging it and like it like she's worrying about a diamond falling off. And I was like, I swear to God, how much that thing cost? I, I hope that thing don't fall off. That's not like. You get that one at K, man. Like that's that's a legit ring over there. So that's that better not be falling apart on me. Otherwise, I'm gonna have a nice little nasty email to send to somebody. <laughs> All, right, All right, back, back to, to the, the Jets. Jets. Back to the Jets. A little bit more. That, we don't have a lot of but um, somebody who's just had kind of a, a wild stretch of time back and forth, kind of like the the roller coaster ride is Avery Williamson. When you think about going into camp, there was a time when people thought, okay, this is going to be a guy that the Jets cut to save some money. 
But then C.J. Mosley suddenly opts out, and Avery Williams is not just a guarantee to be on the team, but he's going to be kind of the leader of this defense at middle linebacker. And now we get to the end of training camp, Connor, and and he's not starting in there, and he's restructuring his deal to make less money. It's just been a, a whirlwind. Yeah, we were all talking about that. We were all saying um, that. I mean, look, when Mosley went out, I was like, "Oh, Avery Williamson. Good thing they have Avery, a good thing they didn't cut Avery Williamson." Now, I mean, he's worked almost exclusively with the second team defense. He's rotated in a little bit with the starters, but it's pretty much been second team. And you can say like, oh, he's slow recovery, just coming back, just coming back. Yeah, that might be it. But then why take the pay cut? Like you take a pay cut usually as a prelude to not getting cut. Like that's right. usually when the it's, team comes. There's an offer. Th- it's either you're yes. you're hitting the road or you can take this. Correct. It wasn't like Avery Williams wasn't accepting a pay cut out of the goodness of his heart. He realized <laughs> that like if he didn't accept this pay cut, he was going to get cut. And <laughs> if the Jets were willing to cut him, it makes sense because Neville Hewitt is clearly a favorite of Greg Williams. Blake Cashman looks really good this year. He's his most their most athletic linebacker, their best coverage linebacker. Like there's a reason why these guys are getting their snaps. But that's definitely been a Probably one of the bigger surprises at camp is that, is that I assumed Avery Williamson, boom, he's your starting linebacker. He's second team. The Jets are going to roll this one with, with Neville Hewitt and Blake Cashman, and, and that's how they're going to go into the season replacing Mosley. And I think he, uh, Hewitt showed last year he can do it, and I think Cashman, if he stays healthy, he's got a chance to be a player, man. He looks good. Now, I would think as far as Williamson goes, when they do go to him and say, hey, we, you know, you can take a pay cut or we're going to cut you, um, if he was – really unhappy about the situation that he wasn't going to be starting and if it was going to be an issue in any way he probably says you know what i want out of here cut me i'll find another place so the fact that he took the pay cut i feel like says something about the fact that he's probably motivated to to work hard and and find his way onto the field as opposed to just being you know to get disgruntled and be mad and be a problem yeah and and that's the thing too is it's like well he's he would he's not that type of guy where he would ever he would ever like throw those locker room issues but the big thing with him, man, is that I, I think at this point in camp, he's not going to find another starting job. Like, and and he's also probably not going to get a contract for three and a half million or whatever the Jets gave him. The specifics of it, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, he was not going to find another contract like the one, even if it was a pay cut. He wasn't going to get another offer like that. He wasn't going to get another starting job. So for him, it's just a matter of collect the money, go into free agency next year as a free agent, find a place where I can compete for a starting job, and and go and do that. So the Jets, and for the Jets, it works for them. They keep a veteran. So if Hewitt goes down. Avery Williamson is is far from a terrible alternative. Far from a terrible alternative. All right, one more thing. Uh, oh, and just to, as far as numbers go, his base salary cut from six point five to two point seven five million. His cap hit drops to four point seven five million. So saves the Jets some money there. Um, we spoke so much about receivers, and somebody in the chat room brought up uh, the name Mohamed Sanu, who was released by the Patriots. It's funny because the Patriots don't have receivers either. Um, and they were willing to let this guy go. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I don't know what's left in the tank for Sanu. Obviously, he's not that far removed from being a, yeah. a really good receiver. Any chance the Jets take a shot? I would. I would if I were them. Yeah, that, He's a that's Jersey one guy, where... right? He's from yeah, yeah. New Brunswick. Rutgers. Rutgers, yeah. Rutgers product, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah so. I believe so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's why he was with he, the Patriots uh, also. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. love Rutgers. Yeah. <laughs> That one never made when they signed him that like they were like, oh, the Patriots offense is fine now. They got Mohamed Sanu. It's like, is there another Mohamed Sanu? Yeah, that proved not to be true at all. I don't think like, what the hell you think you guys, they were acting like they got Julio. I was like, dude's like a decent number two or like maybe like below average number two. But no, that's one I would, I would pursue if I were, if I were the Jets. That's one I'd make the phone call, see if you can get him in here. He's a veteran guy. He can play. And that's what the Jets need. Like they need a veteran who can come in and make plays and just be reliable because you can't rely on these other guys that are out there for the Jets right now. You can't like Sam Darnold's dropping back to pass, and there are times where receivers are just doing the wrong thing. And like that's something that Muhammad Sanu is not an All Star, not a Pro Bowl guy, but he's not going to make those mistakes. And for them, that's why it's most important to to sign somebody like that because you're going to be able to to have reliability in there. All right. Thanks for joining us live, everyone. If you're doing that, if you're listening, uh, wherever you're listening, please give us a rating and review us. Um, Subscribe if you haven't to the podcast, wherever you're listening as well. We're going to be back starting next week, our normal regular season cadence. So basically twice a week, we'll be back early next week to talk about the way this 53-man roster kind of shook out as far as um, who did make it, who didn't, who's headed to the practice squad, all that stuff. And then later in the week, of course, we look ahead to week one, football, regular season football. We didn't have a preseason, but we're ready to go with real football. So if you like what you're hearing, like I said, subscribe for sure. And if you want to save money on a subscription to The Athletic, 
we can help you with that as well. Go to theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast. You can save 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. Uh, follow Connor on Twitter, Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Marissa is at Marissa underscore Morris. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for tuning in to the Can't Wait Podcast. Can't wait.